While the global pandemic has created economic uncertainty, many companies are innovating and solving problems, creating opportunities for early investors. As value creation continues to shift from public to private markets, our crowd believes you deserve access to early stage investments in fast growing companies. That's why our crowd has launched the Pandemic Innovation Fund, which invests in companies solving these new challenges. Solutions like vaccines and testing, tools for remote learning, and even food security innovations. Our Crowd is giving all accredited investors a seat at this table and has already helped thousands of investors get access to companies that have IPO'd like Beyond Meat or been bought by companies like Intel, Nike, Microsoft, and Oracle. Just go to ourcrowd.com slash velonews. If you're interested in investing, you need to join Our Crowd. The Our Crowd account is free. Just go to ourcrowd.com slash velonews. Hello, Velo News listeners. This is Dan Cavallari, tech editor at Velo News, coming at you with another Velo News tech podcast. And we're here at Velo News World Headquarters. We're all appropriately socially distanced. And today my guest is uh, Leonard Zinn, who's way on the other side of the room. How are you doing, Leonard? Hey, good. Thanks for, thanks for coming by. Um, Leonard, for those of you who don't know, uh, is something of a, a tech guru has been writing for Velo News for uh, forever, for as long as Velo News has been around, I think, right? As long as it's been in Boulder. Yeah. Yes. So you've been you've been you've been here for the long haul. And basically if you go to Velo News and you search Leonard Zinn, you're gonna come up with just a treasure trove of of incredible articles and and knowledge about bikes. Leonard's written books uh, on the on various topics, Zinn and the art of uh, bicycle maintenance. Uh, you can basically learn everything that's worth knowing about bicycles uh, just by Googling Leonard's name. And so we're very fortunate to have him here today. Um, and Leonard recently wrote an article for Vela News. Uh, it's a Zin test. It's uh, sunglasses that were tested for UV polarization and clarity. Now that got me thinking, Leonard, um, you know, you've been riding for a very long time. You were a professional for a very long time. You've had a lot of different sunglasses on your face. Uh, so you've seen sort of an evolution of eyewear over the many, many years that you've been riding. And so, um, for starters, I guess before we we jump into our topic today, which is essentially you know talking a little bit about this article you wrote and 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 what you discovered along the way, but um, before we hop into that, um, basically I want to talk about first of all what got you interested in this topic. Um, what was it about sunglasses that you noticed, you know? Was 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 worth exploring the differences to begin with? I mean, was it something that visually you could see that there was a difference from one pair of sunglasses to another, or was it just this curiosity about you know these these manufacturers they come up with all these different you know marketing lingo and and terms? Was it just deciphering that, or was it something you were literally seeing out on the road? It definitely was not something I was seeing on the road. I had been. I was one of the early adopters of sunglasses when I was racing in the 70s. Nobody was wearing sunglasses. And I was wearing sunglasses. I didn't know enough to not be wearing glass lens sunglasses, which hmm. I was lucky to never crash on my right. face and get glass <laughs> shards in my eyes. Yeah. But, um, but I've always felt that it was important to protect my eyes. And, and there's this vast difference in price between sunglasses and... And I've kind of, ever since back then in the 70s, wondered why that is, if sure. that's a something I, I need to make sure and get the most expensive ones or what. And then and there was a time, 
I believe it was in the early 90s when um, somebody from Oakley came into our office, the old, old fellow in his office, mm -hmm. and, and, um, and he brought in this laser test machine, which was two lasers that were roughly parallel, and he could aim them so that across the room they would converge on a single spot, and then it had a little jig that you could drop sunglasses down on it in front of them, sort of in the position they would be on a person's face. Mm -hmm. And, 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 you know, most of the sunglasses that were non Oakley that he'd grab and stick on there, it, the, the two points diverged, the little red spots moved around, uh, on the, on the wall. And then he put Oakley's in front of it and they stayed converged on this single spot. Mm -hmm. And he talked about this, this proprietary Oakley technology, XYZ technology that, um, that allowed, that was essentially tapering the lenses in, in all three directions, the X, Y, and Z directions. So thickness, vertical, horizontal, and, um, and that that's why they were able to, on a curved lens, get this get those two spots to converge like that. Mm -hmm. Since then, I've, I've tried it with like just putting a flat fleecy glass in front of something like that. And, and, and they still stay on the spot. So it's, it has a lot to do with the curvature of the lenses and the curvature of lenses. That was something that I didn't really understand back when I was racing and I was wearing Varnays, which were expensive sunglasses at the time and were glass lenses, like I said, but they're basically shaped like what we would call fashion sunglasses. Now there was really no such thing as a sports sunglass and, and really Oakley with back with Greg LeMond in like 1986 or something was sort of the first ones that had this big sort of curved shield kind of sunglass and looked absolutely different from anything else and, and, um, and was really expensive. And, and when I saw this test, I thought, wow, there's more than just this curved lens. It's all this optics and, and everything too. And, and, um, for a long time, I kind of made sure whenever I went on a really long bike ride, when I was out in the sun for a really long time that I was wearing Oakley's <laughs> and, uh, and good marketing. And, yeah. <laughs> and then, um, but then, you know, over time, I mean, you know, sunglasses come and go, I've had a million different kinds of sunglasses and, and I've, and I've again been riding, you know, pretty seriously for 40 years now. And, um, more, I guess, 40, 40, 44 years. Mm -hmm. And I've worn all kinds of sunglasses. And when I go to the eye doctor, he says my eyes are lusciously healthy. Lusciously? Yes. <laughs> He's a very expressive yeah, guy. Yeah. And, um, and that, you know, I mean, I'm 62 and I don't have to wear reading glasses when mm -hmm. I read the paper. And like everybody else that I know my age, they're all grabbing for reading glasses mm -hmm. all the time. And I, and I similarly, um, I have 2020 distance vision too. So all these other non Oakley sunglasses that I've, you know, and I cross country ski race for umpteen years and I almost never wore Oakley Oakley's when I was doing that. Mm -hmm. And that's really extreme when you're out in the reflection off the sun, right. off the snow. And, and, um, and so, 
that just got me thinking, you know, how much of a big deal is this? Is it that all these other glasses have caught up with Oakley and they're all are getting this same kind of optical acuity or is it that it doesn't make any difference? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's what really got me started being interested in actually a quantitative test of, yeah. of eyeglasses, yeah. of sunglasses. Right. Um, and as somebody who's sitting in the same room, I can con confirm the lusciousness of your. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm, geez, I'm 38 and I already wear reading glasses. Oh. <laughs> um, so you're fortunate there. But it's interesting, you know, the evolution as you just described it. I mean, A, not even wearing glasses while riding, I can't even fathom. I mean, you know, and I've been riding, God, since I was 10 years old. And, you know, even then, I mean, I would wear glasses. I mean, if for nothing else than just from protection for debris. Um, so it's, it's, startling to me to even consider not wearing glasses. Well, you know, it's very interesting that our staff photographers at Velenews, when I was, you know, just starting here, yeah. were furious about Greg LeMond wearing these glasses and it go, it's spreading around the Peloton because the photographers could no longer Big see face. the rider's eyes and they yeah. couldn't really get the, the, the sense of how badly they were suffering. Oh, yeah. And, you know, when guys got done with, with, Perry-Roubaix, now they get done with Perry-Roubaix and there's like a big, you know, mud yeah, ring yeah. around where their glasses were. But right. back then it was continuous right across their mm -hmm. eyes and their eyes were totally bloodshot and globs of mud in the corners of their eyes yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. And, and I mean, you can just imagine how hard that is on your eyes yeah, doing yeah. that all the time. And well, aside from photos, boy, am I glad that that has <laughs> yeah. changed. Uh, you know, and again, like for me, I grew up mountain biking and, and the, the whole idea of sunglasses was for protection mainly uh, because every ride was Roubaix when you're mountain biking, yes, you know, especially right. when I, where I was in Connecticut and Maine and, and I mean, the mud there is just, it's always in your face. Um, so yeah, the idea of not wearing glass at this, uh, glasses at this point is just, is crazy to me. And I think you brought up a good point, which I think, you know, it's, it's important to note that when we're talking about riding glasses, um, they're not glass anymore, the lenses. Um, and, and that's obviously for safety reasons, but also, I mean, does that change the, the way the lenses operate? I mean, is there more distortion? You may not know the answer to this at all. Um, but is there more distortion or less distortion, um, with, you know, these, these polycarbonate lenses as opposed to glass. And like when Oakley came to do that test, were those plastic lenses already? Those were plastic lenses already. And, okay. you know, of course, Oakley never says our glasses are polycarbonate. It's some yeah, yeah, voodoo sure. unobtainium stuff they're yeah, made out of. Yeah. But, but we, um, but glass is the gold standard mm -hmm. for optics. Yeah. Like if, if, you know, people that wear prescription glasses, if unless there's some reason weight wise or sports wise or whatever to not have glass lenses, that's, that's the, the gold standard for optical clarity. Sure. And, um, and of course there've been a lot of people working on the plastic lenses for a really long time to bring them very close to, to the, to that of the, of the uh, glass lenses and there's there's um you know there's there's polycarbonate lenses which have a huge benefit in that they're shatterproof right right and and then there's some other ones and now of course i don't remember what the what the Material. meaning of of the of the acronym is but like tac 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 glasses those tend to be less expensive glasses that 
have much of the features of polycarbonate, but but um, uh, and and shatterproof, um, but are lacking some of the optical clarity and and um, yeah. And there's another one, and and again, Oakley has something that's sort of like polycarbonate, but mm -hmm. it's called a different name, sure. and it's sure. not exactly. So, yeah, yeah. So I guess, you know, and to talk about, again, going back to your test that you wrote for us um, here at VeloNews, you know, you tested for UV polarization and clarity. So those are sort of the three elements that, you know, most of us are bombarded with when we are shopping for glasses. Uh, and, you know, it's pretty intuitive to say, okay, I, I can look through these glasses and it's very clear. So the clarity part of it um, is is almost subjective to it to a degree though you did test for that um and but i and i guess the the question is you know when you're when you're doing these three things clarity you can see polarization and uv not so much well polarization i guess to an extent you can yeah um, so so I, I i first i want to address the clarity one and that is i mean this oakley reps contention back in the 90s was that you put them on your face, you know, you, ones that didn't pass his laser test and sent the spots deviating around the room. Yeah. You put them on and looks perfectly clear. Yeah. And the Oakleys look perfectly clear. Sure. I couldn't see any, <laughs> any difference. Yeah. Yeah. Other than of course, tint and things like that. Uh -huh. And, and, and his point was, yeah, cause that's, that's why it's damaging your eyes. Cause you're constantly correcting for this huh. thing and you're trying to, to converge, you know, where, where the Oakleys would have a distant object just show up as a single, yeah. single image. These lenses are causing them to be two images that your brain knows is one. And so it will tend to then try and, you know, make your eyes see it as one. Gotcha. gotcha. And so that there's extra eye strain and then and then uh, UV, yeah, UV protection. I mean, that's the that's the dangerous one that you can go in and and you know, like if you're on a, not that we wander around street markets anymore, but you know, wandering out street markets, especially in third world countries, there's all sorts of knockoff, yeah, you know, Louis Vuitton sunglasses or whatever, mm -hmm. and and um and for next to nothing and you can be pretty sure that's not going to be uv protective right. but you can't you can't see that because because ultraviolet is um invisible to our eyes there mm -hmm. are there are um some animals that can see uv but mm -hmm. we're not one of we're them one of them and and so and then and so the clarity and and then and then yes the the polarization that you can see because you're looking at a polarized screen all the time when you're looking at your computer and if you put your sunglasses horizontally in front of them polarized sunglasses it'll just look darker through the sunglasses but if you if you turn them vertically um if it's a polarized sunglass it'll get it'll go black yeah yeah so let's let's sort through some of that because i think there's a lot there so for the clarity part of it um, basically what the Oakley rep that you met years and years ago was contention was, is that the lenses on the Oakleys are essentially doing the work for your eyes so that your eyes aren't getting strained. Yes. It sort of sounds like that's, yes. um, uh, the, the general distilled version of what he was telling you. Um, and then UV is, is, um, pretty much, I think, I mean, most performance sunglasses at this point have some UV protection and they'll tell you on the, on their websites 
what that level of protection is. Um, and that's a key one to look at. I would say that's, I would argue that's the most important point for any glasses that you're going to buy is you want to make sure that they are UV protected because uh, that can literally damage your eyes. Yes. And, and as cyclists, we spend a lot of time outside. I mean, there's a lot of risk there. So, you know, in terms of, uh, of shopping for glasses, definitely prioritize the UV protection. Polarization, I want to talk about in a minute because that's a, that's a polarizing ha 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 topic. Um, but, you know, you, you had mentioned that with clarity, um, you know, this test that the Oakley rep came up with will show you, you know, visually uh, what the lenses are doing. And your contention was, well, I, I go out there and they look the same. Did you ever experience any added eye strain or anything like that between Oakley's and other glasses? No, but, you know, again, how are you going to do that? Right. You know, you're out to riding and maybe at the end of the day, your eyes are a little tired. Right. But, I mean, are you going to say that's because of the glasses or because you were out in the, right. you know, out all day? Or right. Which what? begs the question, does it matter at all? Yeah, yeah, but you, you certainly you have no no standard of comparison that you could that you could quantify it, mm -hmm. and 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 certainly I've had you know really long days in the saddle with Oakley's on where my eyes hurt yeah, afterward right, right. too. So yeah. it's just um, that one's really hard to quantify, mm -hmm. and and the UV protection you pretty much don't need to worry about if you get sports sunglasses right, basically right. all of them are a hundred percent uh protective of uva and uvb mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and um and so uh yeah it's really only really cheap sunglasses in you know gas stations or street markets or yeah. whatever that you need to worry about the uv and and um and yeah, sorry. I, I go ahead with your question. <laughs> yeah, so uh, you know we're going to take a break here in just a second, but uh, when we get back, I do want to touch on polarization, and then I want to get back to uh, clarity in the sense of how you actually tested it in your Zin test uh, for Velonews because I think it's pretty interesting, um, and and talk a little bit about what you discovered along the way. Um, but I think polarization is an important one to talk about first, and we'll get to that shortly. Uh, we're just going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with Leonard Zin. In today's market, most of us don't have access to invest early in the private companies that create big returns. With our crowd, you get access to vetted deals on pre-IPO companies alongside professional venture capitalists. Recently, our crowd has launched the Pandemic Innovation Fund, which invests in innovations like vaccines and testing, tools for remote learning, and even food security. Invest in the Pandemic Innovation Fund or get in early on other opportunities at OurCrowd.com slash VeloNews. Your OurCrowd account is free. Just go to OurCrowd.com slash VeloNews. All right. We are back with Leonard Zinn talking about sunglasses and the notion of uh, clarity and polarization and UV. Uh, and Leonard just did a test in VeloNews, as I mentioned. Uh, and so we're talking a little bit about what Leonard learned uh, as he wrote this article for us. Um, and before we jump back into the clarity notion, and, and you sort of tested that theory with your own uh, little Leonard Zinn robot that you built, <laughs> which I love. If, if you got to go on the website and see this thing, it does look like a little wooden robot. It's great. Um, but before we get back into clarity, let's talk about polarization. Um, I think this one is is fairly misunderstood, uh, and especially for cyclists. Um, so can you just give me a quick rundown of what polarization is, uh, what it does, and do cyclists need it? Okay, that's good. Because I think we've all sort of drunk the Kool-Aid that polarization 
that's the ultimate you know, right. polarized because <laughs> and and when I asked my eye doctor about what makes a difference with sunglasses, he said UV polarization, and he thought all that optical clarity stuff was not worth Bunk. worrying about. Yeah, and and but polarization. Yes, it's great for driving a car. I think if, especially if you were a truck driver or something, it would make a huge difference. The reflection off the road and off the hood is the light is basically polarized horizontally. And if you are blocking that with a polarized lens and, and you're not seeing that glare and that reflection, and also the reflection off oncoming car's windshield, that's gonna definitely reduce your eye strain. Mm -hmm. On a bicycle, however, yes, you put on polarized sunglasses and you go out on, a, especially like a chip-sealed road, you can really see the difference between polarized and non-polarized, and and there's less glare and and the road is darker with the with the polarized sunglasses, whereas all those little little pieces of quartz in the chip seal are reflecting all this glare at you yeah. normally and and so you get this sort of dark or darker road but you also got to kind of get this shimmery effect mm -hmm. where um especially when you're on a road that where you have um two wheel ruts that are well packed in and those are yeah. and those are darker than the surrounding areas and and it'll tend to look like those are wet, even in the polarized sunglasses. The darker it'll it'll just be really dark, and and the problem with um, so so I'm not saying polarized sunglasses are good or bad for cycling. I'm just saying that there are some reasons that it's good. Yes, you 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 are looking at a big reflective surface of the road constantly and to reduce the glare off the road is going to reduce your eye strain. On the other hand, um, it does cost you some ability to anticipate what you're about to roll over. Right. And that's my biggest concern with them. And, um, and that is that the road will look wet. So you kind of get numb to that look and then if the you come into a shaded corner and it actually is wet right <laughs> you might get surprised and land on the ground yeah. and then the other um thing is that glare is what gives you depth perception mm -hmm. that without glare you you don't get that so on a mountain bike in particular then you really you're going at a slower speed yes usually but you also um, have a lot more topography that you've you've got to prepare for, and and you'll have a little less ability to see it with right. a polarized sunglass, and and you know, um, and then yeah, so and and it becomes an extreme in snow sports, like um, you know, somebody you think of a snowboarder, where a snowboarder tends to their whole body and their head leans, yeah, yeah. And, and when that happens, um, then you'd get this difference where you're now letting through 100% of, of polarized, vertically polarized, right? And 0% of horizontally polarized. And then you 
tip the lens 45 yeah. <laughs> degrees and now you're getting this mixture. And so it's very hard to anticipate the snow conditions yeah. you're going to come into because it's going to depend on your head tilt. Mm -hmm. And, and, and so anyway, my, my feeling about it is for mountain biking, particularly, it's not a great idea to wear polarized sunglasses and, and, and on the road, unless you're real confident, it's never going to be wet. I, I'm, I'm not sure I see the point. Sure. So, well, and I think it's also important to note here that a lot of, a lot of companies that market their sunglasses towards cyclists now make a pretty big deal about how well their glasses allow you to see road features yes. uh, and, and draw out that contrast. So does that, I mean, is that a function of eliminating the polarization? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, yes. you know, I think, I think a lot of uh, manufacturers have come to the conclusion that polarization for cyclists specifically probably isn't as much of a benefit as being able to pick out those obstacles. Yes. Uh, and I think, you know, if you start reading websites, you know, that's, that's a big claim now. Um, so I wanted to make sure that we, we touched on that because, you know, I, you know, before I started reading about all this polarization was like the thing you looked for. You yeah, know? Yeah. Um, and, and uh, I always wondered how can you, how can you have whatever a 200, $300 pair of sunglasses and mm -hmm. it's not, it doesn't have polarization. Right. Right. Like, what, <laughs> what do you need to pay to get that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Out of curiosity, and this is sort of off topic, but um, when you first started wearing sunglasses, what was considered an expensive pair, like price tag wise? Well, those Varnays I had were 160 bucks. Okay. I remember that. That was a big deal. Yeah. People were like, holy cow, because yeah. they thought sunglasses were $5. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> so, yeah. And it's it's gone up considerably since then. Yes, yes, it has. <laughs> uh, so let's go back to, to talking about clarity. And this is, we'll, we'll dive a little bit deeper into the article you wrote. So you did a test, uh, you made your own laser procedure to test yes. the clarity of these lenses. Um, and, it, you know, I want to talk about that in just a second here, and you can kind of give us the brief walkthrough of what you did and how you tested. Um, but I do have one question for you that's, again, sort of off base. So we've talked about clarity and we've talked about polarization. In a practical sense, um, you know, I have a pair of sunglasses, and I'll leave the brand name out, but I have a pair of sunglasses that I actually quite like a lot. But in certain conditions, I'll get artifacts. And by artifacts, I mean, you know, I'm looking out and I'll see sort of a glare or something that shouldn't be there. Uh, is, is that a function of clarity, do you think? Or is that a function of polarization? Or what do you think that might be? Is that something that you can test in this test that you did? I'm not sure our test would have revealed that. Mm -hmm. I, I, sorry, I don't know don't the know. answer to your All question. Right. Stump Leonard Zinn, let it be, <laughs> let it be noted for the record. Uh, if, if, uh, if any sunglass experts out there are listening, I would love yeah, to hear. So would I, cause I, I've actually experienced this now with a few different sunglasses and it's something I would love to know, uh, why these little like glares come at certain, certain points. It's interesting. Um, but that's not what we tested. So let's yeah. stop talking about it. <laughs> All right. So I'm looking at your, your little robot man, uh, the testing apparatus you made. Can you describe the testing apparatus and uh, what exactly you were trying to achieve here? Okay. So I was trying to reproduce that Oakley experiment of the two lasers that focused on a point across the room and that you could put sunglasses in front of and, mm -hmm. and see how that, what happened. And so um, I got, you know, those little laser, laser, essentially like a laser pointer, but you get them specifically for driving cats crazy. Right. Yeah. And I got two of those and I, um, and I just drilled two holes in a block at, in a two by four block for those two. And then I 
put these little aiming pins around the around the uh, the laser so that as I pushed them in further, I could change the the angle of the of the laser and I could get them to converge. You know, depending on how big the room was and and all that, I could continually aim them until they could I could converge them on a point and then and then the other issue then was being able to put a pair of sunglasses on them and also I drilled the holes basically the distance apart of my pupils oh okay and did you, did you consult with a uh, your doctor to get the the measurement or did you actually no no I I just measured it with a with a ruler <laughs> with a ruler oh cool <laughs> and then and then I um and then I discovered that in order to have the sunglasses the same distance from those two laser pointers as they are from eyeballs, mm -hmm. I needed to kind of trim the block of wood back on the edges. And then I put a couple of screws in that held the earpieces up like your ears would. And I screw in the front that I kept having to reposition until I got it just right where you could, where it would act like your nose and just drop them on there. And each, all the pairs of sunglasses would just be in the right spot then yeah. in front of it. You also made a cut that looks like eyebrows. I'm just, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to make any accusations here, but yeah, I think yeah. there's some anthropomorphizing going on here. Yes. Uh, did you name the robot? Uh, no, I didn't. Oh, got it. Yeah, All right. Best name for the robot gets a high five. <laughs> okay. uh, mail in your responses. So once you had this set up, um, you basically shot those lasers against a blank wall. I could have called a wall E, huh? See? Could have, See? shining on the wall. Our, we have our yeah. first entry into the naming <laughs> of Leonard's robot. Senders yeah. in. It's got to beat Wally. -E. <laughs> uh, so you shine, you shine the lights against a wall. And now how did you measure whether the, the lasers were distorting or not? Um, yeah, I knew the distance to the wall from where the lasers were. And then I... Um, I'd put the sunglasses in front of them and then I'd go over there to the wall. It was actually a projector screen and I would just measure it on the screen, mm -hmm. how far apart the spots had then become. Gotcha. Now there's, um, if you look at the, the article, which you guys can read on, on Vela News, um, there's a, an NBS target. Can you talk a little bit about what that is? Yeah. So an NBS target is a, is a optical, it, it's, a, a poster basically that you would put on the wall and and there are 20 lines um, of steadily decreasing width and spacing as you come in toward the center both both vertically and horizontally so so it kind of looks like sort of four triangular patterns coming together and meeting in the center. Right. And, and, and the idea of the test is somewhat similar to you looking at a chart on the wall of, of uh, steadily decreasing size letters right. that, that then to see, because, because at the point where you can no longer distinguish them, the line and the, white space between the lines merge and you can't it just yeah you can't you can't tell that those are separate mm -hmm. so so you count inward how many lines inward 
or, or well, basically, um, those uh, each line is is width is is written in cycles. So uh, basically, this it's the it's the number of of lines and spaces um, per unit distance mm -hmm. that that those are at and so you you you're able to look and and see okay i can distinguish you know six lines per millimeter or 10 lines per millimeter or or only two lines per millimeter and and that um and then if you have a standard of comparison which is how how you see without anything in front of your eyes then you you could then see how much uh your your optical acuity had decreased with mm -hmm. putting something in between. Now you, you tested about what, 20 pairs of glasses or so? Something like that. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and then some of them had multiple lenses. So it ended up being, yeah. Without, without revealing the, the winners and losers of your test. Uh, did you learn anything broadly speaking about what affected the clarity, uh, in the test? Yes. So, so definitely broadly speaking, the more curvature the lens has, the harder it is to get those two lasers to be on a single spot. Mm -hmm. And, and that, and that even ones that pass the test, if you then flex them flex the lens inward or outward that it was dependent on it maintaining the shape that it had been designed at that if you flexed it inward or outward it it would move the lasers around gotcha and some of the ones that that where it really sent the lasers quite a ways apart were very heavily curved you know one that was very heavily curved if you then pulled it way wide and pulled the earpieces out till it was wider than really anybody would be. Sure. So you, you could resolve them to a single spot. So, so it certainly was, um, it made it clear to me that if you, that a manufacturer could design the curvature of the lens and then the tapering of the lens, because, because, you know, as a, with a prism, the light bends toward the thickest part. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you clearly, if you have a curved lens in the center of the lens, that should be the thickest part. If you made it uniform thickness the whole way, then it, you're going to definitely de cause distortion. Yeah. And so, and that was what Oakley's contention was with this XYZ technology, which, you know, it had, had a 20 year lifespan to that patent and, and it's expired now. So anybody can do, do that. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, but clearly it requires some, to me, it seems some really high level calculations to be able to calculate exactly how you'd want that taper mm -hmm. to go based on the, on the shape of the lens, the curvature of the lens. And the other thing that was interesting was none of the, none of the glasses I tested, including Oakley's that had two separate lenses none of those maintained the zero position of the two lasers. Hmm. They all deflected the lasers if they had two lenses. So, sure. so that just complicates the problem because each one of the separate lenses is curved and then it's mounted in a frame, which has a certain curvature to it. 
uh, to the frame as well as when it gets pinched in the frame, it can also add a different, you know, torque to the to the uh, to the lens and and curve it again differently from where it was when it was out of the out of the glasses frame and 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 one a shield type sunglass that's got got only earpieces attached and a, and a nose piece and no no lens no frame around it that's going to be the easiest one in terms of the manufacturer to control what what happens sure. because um yeah and and but still it's going to be dependent on how on how wide the person's right, head is that right. it will depend on if if it gets the guy's got a head shaped like a pumpkin and <laughs> he's probably going to end up with distortion that, that other people yeah, don't get, don't get. Yeah. Yeah. And that was my question. I mean, all this testing, which is, is so much the case with a lot of testing with a lot of different products is that yes, in a controlled environment with the glasses at a resting position without any added stresses on it, you can get that information. But as soon as you add, you know, uh, different variables, like somebody's head thickness and, and how much, how that affects the the shape of the lens, all that kind of goes out the window to an yeah. extent. So, yeah. you know, something that performs maybe not quite as good on the, the jig that you made might actually be fine once you stretch them out slightly on your head. Yes. Um, so yeah, the variables are just so vast. And to me, it feels a lot like footwear where, you know, it's easy to make a good shoe, but it's not easy to make a good shoe for everyone. Right. You know, and that, I think that sort of is, is the same thing with sunglasses. Um, but, you know, Leonard did this, uh, this pretty extensive test. And if you want to see the results of which glasses uh, performed the best in the test, uh, as well as the responses from various manufacturers and their perspective on, on, uh, the testing you did. Um, it's all there. I mean, you did a really thorough job here. So, uh, really in-depth, interesting information. We just really glossed the, the, the surface here. So if you want to get, if you guys want to see the results, uh, please do head over to velonews.com and check out Leonard's article. Uh, and, and there's a, a nifty graph in here that, that'll tell you exactly, uh, what brands, uh, and what models of glasses Leonard tested and where they fell on the, the distortion, uh, uh, chart here. Um, is there anything else Leonard before we go without telling everybody <laughs> the result we want, we want the results to stay on the site. Yeah. Uh, we want people go over there and check it out. Um, but is there anything else that w is important to mention for people, um, listening about the test that, uh, helps just adding any perspective about what you learned? I think the biggest thing is that if, if the sunglasses are comfortable to you and, and it's clearly a sports sunglass with 100% UV protection that you don't need to worry so much about it. Sure. That, um, that you're probably, your eyes are probably going to be okay. Right. <laughs> they won't fall out of your head, I promise. Yes. Uh, well, I can't promise that actually. Uh, Leonard, thank you very much for, for joining me today to chat about the, your sunglass test. It's pretty fascinating stuff. I hope you guys will go check it out. Uh, and for those of you listening, if you guys have any questions about uh, this episode of the Tech Podcast or about Leonard's article, you're very welcome to drop me a line. You can get me at dcavallari at velonews.com. You can also get me at Brown Tie Dan on Twitter and Instagram. Leonard, how can the people reach you? Uh, VeloQNA at Comcast.net. That's how you can send me a question to my to my Tuesday tech column, the the 
FAQ column. Yeah, and, and Leonard answers all sorts of uh, wonderful in-depth questions in his tech FAQ. So if you do have questions about this article, that would be a wonderful place for those questions to show up. Uh, and as always, thank you for listening. And we will catch you on the next episode of the Velo News Tech Podcast. Leonard, thanks again for joining me. Thank you, Dan. We'll see you next time, guys.